And he ended up in a part of the city that he wasn't familiar with. And suddenly he heard a loud voice from above. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Startled, the rabbi looked up and he said, Who are you? And the voice explained that he was a guard for the king. And then he demanded an answer once again to his questions. Who are you? And what are you doing here? Instead of giving an answer, the rabbi then asked him, Well, how much do you get paid each day to stand and ask those questions as people pass you by? The guard was a little bit bothered by the rabbi's strange questions, but he told him his wages. And the rabbi thought for a moment and he said to the guard, If I will double your wages, will you come and stand at the entrance to my house and ask me those questions each day as I leave and as I come home? Who are you and what are you doing here? Two of the key questions of life, questions that speak to our identity and to our calling, questions that we'll all face at one time another or another in our lives that particularly at times of transition, perhaps like a new year or times of struggle, maybe such as during a pandemic. And they fit well with our theme for this year of 2021 at Holy Cross, where we're asking, what does God have in store for us next? They also fit with our series for the current season of Epiphany, God's Call, asking what is the call of God in our lives? And in week one of our series today, we see that first and foremost, God's call is to be in relationship with him. He calls us into relationship with him. And in fact, we are incomplete without a relationship with God. You know, we can live without ever marrying. We can live without ever having children. We can even live without having close friends. But we are incomplete without a relationship with God. It's what you and I were designed for. And when we live apart from him, life just doesn't work. We may get a good job. We may have a nice family, even do good works. But ultimately, apart from Jesus, we are lost. St. Augustine, the early church father, put it best perhaps when he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Or a modern day saint, St. Bono of you too, when he put it this way, I have climbed highest mountains, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And we're, to, uh, we're, we're not just talking about any kind of relationship. No, God wants us to be friends with him. That's the kind of relationship. As Pastor Rick Warren puts it, your relationship to God has many different aspects. God is your creator and maker, Lord and master, judge, redeemer, father, savior, and much more. But the most shocking truth is this. Almighty God yearns to be your friend. Yes, God made us in his image and he loves us. But perhaps even more surprising than this is that he likes us. He actually likes us and he wants to be our friend, our best friend, or as my youngest daughter and her friends like to say, our BFF, right? Our best friend forever, in case you're not down with the lingo, right? He wants to be our best friend forever. But how do we enter into such a relationship? Well, first of all, we see that it begins with repentance. This is what John the Baptist is helping people to understand and put into practice in our reading from Mark's Gospel. Verses 4 and 5. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. 
John is calling people to repent, to prepare themselves to be in right relationship with God, to be his friend, to walk with him and talk with him as Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the Garden of Eden. How does that old hymn go? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. He wants to be our friend. However, there is a problem. To quote Rick Warren again, in Eden, we see God's ideal relationship with us. Adam and Eve enjoyed an intimate friendship with God. There were no rituals, ceremonies, or religion. Just a simple, loving relationship between God and the people he created. We were made to live in God's continual presence. But after the fall, that ideal relationship was lost. The problem is that at the fall, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, sin and death entered the world. As the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 5, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Or as the psalmist writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Yes, because of Adam and Eve's sin, we are all tainted by sin from conception. And this sin separates us from God. And so we cannot enter into a relationship with him. And so John the Baptist knows that we need to do something first. If we want to be his friend, we need to deal with all the stuff that's getting in the way. Sin, we need to repent now, at its simplest, this means to say sorry, doesn't it? That's how you probably explain it to your kids or grandkids. What does it mean to repent? We'd say, well, it's to say sorry. But really, it means so much more. The repentance that's called for throughout the Bible is personal, it's absolute, and it's an ultimate and unconditional surrender to God as ruler in our lives. Now, it does include sorrow and regret, being sorry, but it is so much more. It's a conversion from self-love, from self-trust, and from self-assertion to an obedient trust and a self-commitment to God and his purposes. It's a change of mind that involves a conscious turning away from wrong actions, attitudes, and thoughts, and then turning to what the Bible says, or what God says in Scripture, is a godly lifestyle. The way I describe it to people um, when we have our baptismal classes is, it's as if you're walking walking in one direction like so and then you realize your sin and you turn and you do a 180 degree turn and you start heading in the other direction it's not as if you walk this way realize your sin and go i'm so sorry god and then you just keep going not a true repentance. A true repentance is the intention to turn and walk in the other direction and to live a different way. Now, I think the biggest problem most of us have with repentance, though, it's not accepting that we sin. I think most of us probably realize that fairly easily, or we have people who point that out to us to make it fairly easy for us to realize that, yes, we are in fact sinners. That's not the problem. I think it's in accepting just how bad our sin is and how terrible the consequences are for being unrepentant. Each week we say these words, don't we? We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. And yet we continue day by day to think that we are worthy, to compare ourselves to those around us or those in the news and to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them or I'm not as bad as them or them or them. And in fact, I'm pretty good. And this quickly turns into the idea that we're still in some way able to earn our way into God's kingdom. They're actually pretty good people in our own right. I was reminded of the insidious nature of this way of thinking this week when I was reading 
um, a devotion by Paul David Tripp from his book, New Morning Mercies. Tripp is a pastor himself, and he writes this. If you prayed every moment of your life, you could not pray enough prayers to earn acceptance with God. If you gave every penny of every dollar that you ever earned in every job you ever had, you could not give enough to deserve acceptance with God. If every word you ever spoke was uttered with the purest of conscientious motivations, you would never be able to speak your way into reconciliation with God. If you gave yourself to an unbroken moment-by-moment life of ministry, you could never minister enough to achieve God's favor. Sin is too big. God's bar is too high. It is beyond the reach of every human being who has ever taken his or her breath. If we want to be in relationship with God, we need to accept the truth of the gospel that our sin problem cannot be solved by us. We cannot earn our way into his favor. We cannot earn his love. But the good news is that by his grace, he freely offers forgiveness. This is true friendship. And it brings us to the next thing that leads us into relationship with God. Secondly, we see that building a relationship with God continues with God's forgiveness of our sin. Jesus points towards this in his baptism. Verse 9 of our gospel reading. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Why does this event point to God's forgiveness, though? Well, as we say in our service of baptism, in baptism we are cleansed from sin and born again. It's the public announcement to the world that we've chosen to follow Jesus and that we've been washed by his blood shed upon the cross. We just sang about that. We are forgiven of our sins and they're removed as far as the east is from the west. Did we deserve it? No, but that is God's grace at work in us. His unconditional agape love. Now, then you might ask, well, does Jesus need to be baptized? Think about it. He's sinless, right? He's perfect in every way, blameless, without guilt. So why? Well, in doing so, he's identifying with those who he's created. As one commentator puts it, we may only guess what it all meant to Jesus, but there's, there is great sense in the suggestion that he dedicates himself to obey God's will through an event, that's the baptism, which symbolizes what the whole ministry will involve making it possible for sinners to repent in order to find forgiveness and new life from God. In his baptism, Jesus is identifying with you and me in the place where we come to recognize the depths of our sin and brokenness and our need for salvation that's on offer because of what he does on the cross, taking the weight of the whole sin of all the world upon himself and paying the price that we couldn't pay. And this is what his calling is. That's what his calling is, to rescue us from sin. And it leads to our calling. So his calling leads to our calling, a relationship with the Father. But more than that, it's a relationship with purpose. And we'll come to that in a little bit. Well, this brings us to the final thing that seals our relationship with God. It is completed by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, not only are we cleansed of sin and born again in baptism, we're also filled with the Holy Spirit and born and again, recreated, if you will. While John's baptism with water was one of repentance, Jesus' baptism by John confirms what John has been saying, that Jesus will baptize with water and the Spirit. 
In verses 10 and 11, we read this. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. In this moment, we see a number of things happening. First of all, we see Jesus' identity is affirmed. His calling's already been made known, as we talked about, in his choosing to identify with those he's created through his baptism. He will be the one who rescues us from sin and death and will make a way for us to be born again into a relationship with God, becoming children of God. But his identity is made clear in this incredible Trinitarian event that happens as God the Father speaks over him, as the Holy Spirit descends upon him. He hears that he is God's son, dearly loved and liked by God. Well, second, we see that the Spirit of God is vital in the rebirth that takes place at baptism. John's promise that Jesus will come and he'll baptize with water and the Spirit. And here's the evidence of that. The Spirit descends like a dove. Yes, the Holy Spirit is crucial for our rebirth and our recreation. Listen to what Pastor Kent Hughes writes. Regardless of how, of how you have been dipped or sprinkled or dry cleaned or whatever has happened, you are not one of his unless you have received the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, his cleansing from sin and his empowering to godliness. Is he that real to you? If so, then bless his name. If not, seek him today. Or as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit that we're reborn and empowered to live the life God's calling us to lead. And because of this, we see one more thing. And catch this, that by the power of the spirit, we receive our new and primary identity, our primary identity as children of God adopted into his family and dearly loved by him. No longer do we define ourselves by the markers that our culture loves to use or that we use ourselves. Whether we, it's our sin that we let define us, or our past, or our history, or the condemning words that others have spoken over us, or whether it's the color of our skin, or our gender, or our political leanings, or the sports teams we follow, or our job, or how much money we earn, or our education, or where we grew up, or what car we drive, or what zip code we live in, or what family name we have. No, our identity is found in our relationship with God. We are his children, dearly loved by him. This is what matters most. And when we get this right, it changes everything for us and for the world around us. We are no longer crippled by our past and we're no longer captive to the ways of the world. And we are set free to live for what really matters. Our relationship with God becomes our everything. It's our identity and it's our calling. Yes, as we recognize our sin and we repent and as God extends his grace and he forgives us and then we're filled by his Holy Spirit, we become who we're meant to be and we're ready to live out our true calling in life. So friends, who are you and what are you doing here? You are made in God's image, but have you chosen to become his child? And if you have, are you living for him in the power 
of the Spirit. He calls you into relationship. You are called into relationship with Jesus, and you're also called to this relationship for the sake of others. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, think about the great commandments. We say them every week at the beginning of the service, right? You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Identity and calling. Our friendship with Jesus is the greatest thing that we can ever experience. But it's not something that is to be hoarded. It's something that leads us to love others, to serve others. Receiving God's grace leads us to be gracious towards others. Experiencing his kindness leads us to show kindness to others. Knowing his hope leads us to bring hope to the hopeless. Being found by him leads us to seek out the lost who have not been found and to share the good news of the gospel with them that they might be found. Experiencing his generosity leads us to be incredibly generous towards others, expecting nothing in return. Having his peace leads us to be peacemakers in an increasingly frustrated, anxious, and angry world, and so on and so forth. It should change everything. As God says in Isaiah chapter 42, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. God spoke these words over Israel, but I believe they're true for the church and for each one of us today. He calls us into relationship. He becomes our best friend. And what a joy that is. But then we go out as a church and as individuals and we share that friendship with others in hopes that they will come to know and to love him too and to know their true identity. This is who we're made to be. And this is what we're meant to be doing here. Will you live into your identity and calling today? Let's pray. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Come, descend like a dove as you descended on Jesus 2,000 years ago. Descend in this room upon each one of us. If we don't know you yet and we've not experienced your grace and we've not repented, bring us to a place of repentance today, a place where we can receive your forgiveness and enter into that relationship that matters most of all in all the world, a relationship with you. And Lord, if we know you already, would that spirit come and empower us more to be like you, to be gracious in the world, to be kind in the world, to bring peace and love and joy and hope in this world, Lord God. Help us to live out of our identity as your child, children of God, dearly loved and made by you, Lord Jesus, and to go out and to love others well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.